All right, well, good morning. <laughs> it's not. All right, grab your Bibles if you have them. John, uh, Jonah chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, again, let's pray. <clears throat> we'll jump in. And for those that didn't sleep, hang in there. I'll do my best to... No, you stay awake. I'm not going to do it. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we give you thanks for this morning. And this story, and I pray that as we, as we look at Jonah's life and you and your work in him and through him, I pray that your sovereignty would be that which brings you com- or brings us comfort, that you're in charge and you know what you're doing and why you're doing things. And so God, help us, uh, keep us teachable and humble to receive your instruction from your word. Keep my agenda away from anything and may it only be about Jesus. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody says, amen. amen. Can you imagine what the, the men on the ship thought? This massive storm has hit. I mean, they, you see it there in verse 11. And they said to Jonah, what shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? Their focus is on the sea because it's this massive storm that's hitting them. It's like, what should we do? And Jonah's like, I know it's my fault. Like, I know I screwed up. And so why don't you just throw me in the ocean? Just throw just think how weird this sounds just throw me in the ocean and it'll go calm guys at that point would you sit there and go yes is that what really works and oh yeah okay absolutely we want to be out here so just grab jonah heave him over the side we know that the ocean will swallow him and then everything will be back to normal guys that makes no sense and yet jonah knew because he was running from the presence of the lord He was trying to run from God, and he knew the whole thing. God was after him. And a lot of times we think that that's actually a bad thing. Guys, the fact that God is after us is a beautiful thing. Remember I told you about my wife and the stuff we were going through years ago? And I remember there was this one point in that whole process. It was like a three-year process of her going through treatments and surgeries and um, just kind of doing the waiting game to see if everything was going to be okay. And I remember she had, a, she had to have a scan, um, kind of just to see how she was doing. And I stayed home with the boys uh, while she went off to do that. My, our boys were little. And, and so they're, they're, um, they're, they're the house, and they're taking a nap when she gets home. And, and I, I said, well, so how did it go? And in my mind, I just thought, we've been praying. We know it's going to be great. And, and she goes, um, they need to do another one. They think they saw something on my brain. And then right after that, no joke, she goes, but I need to go to the grocery store. And then she went to the grocery store. And I'm like, you can't drop a bomb like that in my lap and go buy some salami. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. And so she went away, and she drove off. I remember I just sat on the couch, and I remembered a message that a buddy of mine preached that I heard him talk about when Jesus says, if anyone wants to be found worthy to be my disciple, he must deny himself, pick up his cross daily, and follow me. And in that message, he challenged these students, he challenged the college students he was speaking to, and he just happened to be sitting there listening. And this was probably a couple few years before any of this had happened. He said, what does it mean to deny self? And we always think it just keeps, keep the bad stuff away. And he goes, well, that's, that's easy. That's not denying self. That's just self-denial. I'm just going to keep all the bad stuff away. All the sin, I'll just push it away. But my family and ministry and friends and the good things in life, I'm going to hold on to him like a bear hug, but all the bad stuff I'll keep pushing away. He goes, that's not denying self, that's self-denial. We as followers of Jesus, when we surrender to Christ, we don't get to do this with anything. We have to do this with everything. Do you see the difference? 
And that message came to my mind. As I sat there on the couch, the boys were still napping. And I said, I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want to do this with her. I don't know what you're going to do, God. I just don't want to, I don't want to give her up. And I remember just sitting there and I started to pray and just think through things. And, and I start, tears starting to come down my, my face. And I finally took my hands and I just opened them up and I slammed them on my lap. And I said, she's yours, God. And then I said this, but if you decide to take her home, then you better help me with the pain. And it's so cool to watch Christians come along and the church come along. And man, we have so many people willing to do anything. Hey, I had a woman say, I'll come do your laundry every week. I was like, no, we're okay. And uh, we have to learn how to receive so that people can give. And I have a hard time with that. And I said, no, we're okay. But man, we had people bringing meals. Like every other day, we had, we had, I got all fat then. I just kept eating because it was really good food. But the church came along. And I remember there was this one morning, kind of right when we, when we found out the whole thing, our senior pastor, and it's a pretty huge uh, auditorium where I was before, and he had the whole church community stand up and grab hands. This is a couple thousand people. And they're just praying. And they're going, God, are you hearing any of this? And people remind me, hey, God loves you. And can I be honest with you? That one didn't encourage me. What I needed to hear was that God could fix it. That God was in control. He could do something about it. And friends, through this whole process, the thing that brought me the most peace is that God is sovereign. The word sovereign means he has complete rule and reign over everything that's going on. Guys, I know we've come, the last few years have been a little bit different, right? And it's so easy to look at the circumstances and all we see are the circumstances and why won't the circumstances change? But what is it about those circumstances when they're difficult? What do, what do they bring about that's good? Watch what happens. And this was just from the, I was reading again this morning. I thought, wow, I don't know if I've ever seen this part. Verse 12, he said, then pick me up. And hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. It got worse. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Guys, all that they saw was the sea. This is how bad the sea is. And at some point, their attention shifted from the circumstances to the God who's over the circumstances. Guys, I think this is what happens to us. So long as God just makes things a little bit more comfortable, we're okay. But do we want the God who's over the circumstances or just comfortable circumstances? Guys, the greatest good ever is God. Years ago, I was in chapel I was in, I was at, when I was in college. And the guy that was preaching, he asked this question. He said, imagine everything that's in heaven. I mean, I mean just, just try to imagine it. The glory of the beauty and like no more sin. Like no more insecurity. Anybody, anybody besides myself struggle with insecurity? Anybody? Yeah. And then we feel, it's like, did I raise my hand right? I'm not sure if I did. It's like, I feel the same way. Guys, you realize that every time I preach, even this morning before I turned my phone off to come up here and preach, the last thing I did was text my wife and say, I can do this, right? 
And every time she texts back, absolutely. She's never said, nah, give up. She's always encouraged. No more insecurity, no more shame, no more regret. No more cancer. No more school shootings. No more oppression, no more wars. No more sickness, no more dying. Joy. He says, imagine heaven, but if Jesus wasn't there, would you be bummed? You get everything that heaven has, but if Jesus wasn't there, would you be bummed? And I remember sitting there in the chair, and I, I try to answer those rhetorical questions pretty honestly, so I just kept sitting there going, I mean, I get the stuff though, right? I mean, I might be bummed for a little bit, but we get the stuff. And I thought, I, I think I'd be okay after a little bit. Because I was about the stuff. I was about the circumstances. The circumstances need to change. And then God's done this great, beautiful work. I want to encourage you, friends. God's never done with you. When you think that you've arrived, he's kind of like, nah, this is just a pit stop. This is a bathroom break. We're going to get moving after this. He's never finished. I know some 20-something 20 years later. Heaven for me, give me one room, two chairs, maybe a table and a lamp, and Jesus in one, and I'll sit in the other. I don't care what the rest of it. But it used to just be about his stuff. I just wanted circumstances that were in my favor, but when things got out of whack, the circumstances were changed. It's so easy to try to fix the circumstances rather than to go to the God who's over them. They kept talking about the sea, talking about the sea, talking about the sea. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. And there it is. God does what he wants, when he wants. Why? To bring us into paying attention to him, for he is the greatest good. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me on that? It goes on. It says, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have, have done as it pleased you. And I, and I highlighted that in my Bible. Why? Because, God, you did whatever you wanted. You have done what has pleased you. You called Jonah. He rebelled, went completely in the opposite direction. And what did you do? You told creation what to do. Guys, you realize the only, the only things in all of creation that constantly disobey its creator is us. The wind obeys the creator. The waves obey the creator. How do I know? Remember Jesus in, Ma in Mark chapter 4, he's on a boat sleeping. He told his disciples, hey, we're going to go to the other side. He makes them get in. Then he falls asleep. And then the storm hits. Friends, have you ever done this? You felt like you were doing exactly what God told you to do. And when the storm hits, you sit and go, why does it feel like God fell asleep on me? Why does it feel like he's not paying attention, like he doesn't care? He's just off to the side. Why do I feel so far during the storm? And yet he's in the boat with them. And they run up and say, don't you care? Don't you care if we drown? And I wonder if those words stung a little bit. Because the idea of don't you care, that question, the fact that Jesus, who is God Almighty, became a person, God in a bod, showed up. Why? For God so loved the world. Don't you care if we drown? And what's Jesus <laughs> What's he do? Can you imagine if he was grumpy when you woke him up? Like, what? <clears throat> what? Don't I care? No. And then he pushes him overboard and goes back to sleep. That'd be a horrible story in the passage or in the Bible. 
But he gets up and he calms the wind and the waves. He looks at guys, where's your faith? And he tells wind and waves to stop it. And wind and wave obey him. He said, there you go, but the storm, what was the point? You know what the point of the storm was? Friends, he had to reveal who he was so that they would realize that he's more than they thought he was. The storm gave him the opportunity to reveal that he's God over the storm. It caused them to worship. They're like, what do we do with this guy? Isn't it amazing? We want to see the miraculous of God. We just don't want to go through the crisis that ushers it in. We want somebody else to go through the crisis, have that story. Friends, we have to trust God in the process. Even if he brings the storm, God brought the storm, and he was going to do a work in Jonah's life, but he also did a work in the men's lives who were on that boat that Jonah was with. Friends, maybe, just maybe. The stuff that my wife and I went through then, my prayer is that it has impacted people. That the way that we suffered through it, the way that we worked through it, whether we are in the hospital or people that I was preaching to and talking to or in our ministries, we've talked to youth and students. And as we work through the whole process, what my prayer is that it impacted people because God is about bringing those who don't know him into relationship with himself, whatever it takes. Even if we, his followers, have to go through a storm. You say, well, Brian, I don't know if that's fair. Friends, fair ended in the Garden of Eden. Friends, we want grace. And when we surrendered our lives to Christ, it wasn't, I want to accept Jesus into my life so I have everything I've ever wanted. I fear that maybe the message has turned away from repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. I feel like the message that's preached a lot is God loves you and has a plan for your life. Well, I can accept that and it costs me nothing. But to repent and believe costs me everything. To follow after Christ, to deny myself, to pick up a cross and follow him costs me everything. And whether or not we're willing to do that comes down to this. Do we recognize him to be God and worth it? If you're a follower of Jesus, just ask this question of yourself so often. I do it all the time. Is Jesus worth it? Is he worth it? Like, whatever I have to face, is he worth it? Whatever he asks me to do, is it worth it? Whatever he commands me to do, is he worth it? And if he's worth it, then you'll see it in what it is that I do. Verse 15, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And it doesn't say that they became followers of Yahweh. It just says that in that moment, they sacrificed to Yahweh, they sacrificed to God, and they made vows to him. If anything, it brought them one step closer into what? Intimacy with God. And now Jonah's in the middle of the ocean, just bobbing away. Friends, he's supposed to die. That's why they were worried. We don't want his blood to be on our hands. And so he's just sitting there, and all of a sudden, look at the, look at the next verse in verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. If you have the NIV, it says, the Lord provided. Guys, you got to remember that God's provisions may not always be wrapped in a pretty bow. But God provided, God appointed something. This massive fish, it's like it was a whale, so he had room. I don't know, it doesn't say a whale. Maybe I don't know what it was. It does say a fish. 
Can you imagine how uncomfortable that is for three days? Swimming around wherever the fish wants, you're just there. It's like, oh, that could never happen. How, how, you, how could you believe the Bible? Some dude is in a fish. Think about it. Is that more impressive? Some people say, Jonah, I can't believe the Bible because of Jonah. I sit and go, have you heard of the resurrection of Jesus? A guy who was dead comes back from the dead and is alive, fully God, fully man, then ascends and says he's coming back. And you have an issue with Jonah? I have no issue with Jonah because Jesus pulled off Easter. When Jesus pulled off Easter, it's this reminder God can do anything and use anything and anyone to do what he wants. From within the fish, Jonah has this prayer time. I called out, verse 2, chapter 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. In my distress, when I was freaking out, I called out and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol or death, I cried, and you heard my cry. Friends, for those who just feel like you're just getting hit, call out to Jesus, and I promise you, he hears you, and he will respond. He will do what he does when he wants to do it that's for the greatest good. As you continue through this prayer, verse 3, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. In other words, he goes, I know God's going to come through. That word yet means, hey, God is sovereign. Here's the circumstance. This is what's going on. Yet, I know that this is what's going to happen. You'll see it again down in verse 6. The word yet is used there. I, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Again, you see God's sovereignty just put there in one word, yet. Jump down to verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Friends, God will use circumstances in our lives to accomplish his work so that he gets the most glory and credit. Take your Bible if you have them and you're with me. Turn to Jan Jeremiah 29. And I know many of you brought up in the church 29.11. That's our verse. It's used, on, it's used on paintings. It's used on cards. But let's start at verse 10 first. Real quick. We're going to fly through this as quick as we can. Jeremiah 29 verse 10. For thus says the Lord... When 70 years are completed for Babylon. How many of you by show of hands have ever asked God, how long, God, is this going to last? You ever asked that? God, how much longer? How much longer? How much longer? I would say in the last two years, all of us had asked that question. God, how much longer do we have to deal with COVID? How much longer? How much longer, right? How long, God? How long? Can you imagine if he came back and said, mm, well, you keep asking, 70 years. You're like, 70 years? 70 years? You ever wonder that maybe the most gracious thing that God can do is to never answer that question of how long because you might not like the answer. When he doesn't say how long, maybe it's because he loves you enough to not let you know. Have you ever asked the question of why? God, why is this happening? Maybe you won't like the answer to that, so maybe he won't tell you just yet. Guys, 70 years... The people of Israel are in exile for 70 years, but he says, after 70 years, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise, bring you back to this place, 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future to hope. I will, I will, I will points to the fact that God is sovereign over everything. After 70 years, nothing can stop me. I will fulfill what I said that I will do. Then you, what God does in those 70 years, he brings them to a point where the people will respond. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I'm convinced it was taking God. God used 70 years to prepare him for that place and that point where they would seek the Lord with all their heart because he said, I'll be found by you. But don't you ever feel like you, you're seeking the Lord and you're like, God, where are you? When my boys were younger and little, so Tyler would probably be like four, Dylan two, or five and three, I'd play hide and seek with them. Hide and seek with a three-year-old's pretty easy. I'm not sitting there going, I don't know if I can outrun him. Because he's just kind of like running like an orangutan, just kind of doing that thing. And so I can handle that. And they don't hide real well when they're three. Like they'd look like go, oh, he came. His butt's all hanging out, like diaper butt, just boom, like a big old, like here's the big satellite, there he is. And they just like, oh, and then I play the, where's Dylan? And you hear him going, <laughs> And I'm like, oh my gosh, it sounds evil. And so he's just, he's sitting there. That's easy. But then it's my time to go hide. So I would go into the back, I'd go down the hall into our bedroom, and I'd hide behind the door, but I'd make sure the lights are off along the way, because I do want to freak him out a little bit. I'm going to pay him back a little bit. So I, I, I hear him count in the kitchen, it's like, uh, uh, it's like, are those numbers? Like, what's going on in the kitchen? And he's like, ready or not, you count. And so he comes running around, so he's, he's walking, Tyler's behind him. And then Tyler moves to the front as they get closer. And then Tyler starts to freak out. I still remember this. He starts to freak out. So then he takes his three-year-old brother and moves him in front and starts moving him like this. And I'm just, I'm just looking through the crack. And as they get closer to where it's darkest, it's almost like you can tell they go, he's not in there. And they walk away. So as they get further away, I go, whoa. And then they look. And Tyler moves Dylan again. And they come closer, get to the door, and they start to walk away. So I knock. And they get closer. And as they get closer, this time they just jump out. Wah! Ah! He starts screaming. Dylan took a dump in his shorts, but it's okay. So he has a diaper, but it's on. Like, yeah, I, I want it. So then I, land, I get on the ground and I start wrestling with him. Why? What's the point of it? Sometimes with God, I'm like, does this hide and seek thing work with you, God? The thing with that game of a five and three-year-old playing hide-and-seek with me, I, their dad, I want to be found by them. But I want them to look. And with God, you have to know he wants to be found by you. But he wants you to look. He wants you to seek after him with everything you have. Why? Because he's the greatest good. And the greatest thing that he calls us to do is to love him with everything. Just love God with everything you got and love people. Let's make it real simple. Guys, he wants our hearts, not just our behavior. He doesn't want to just be a God who handles the circumstances. He wants to be the God that you worship in the midst of them, no matter what. Because he's sovereign. He's in control. He's ruler 
and ultimate authority of everything, even now, when it seems like the world is unraveling, is it possible that God is setting things up for something that we just sang about, this revival? God, revive your church. Revive us, your followers. May this newness of the Spirit fall on this planet that more people would come to Jesus or do we just expect it's all going to be gravy and super easy and doesn't cost anything is it possible that God is doing a greater work than we could ever imagine and those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ our job is to follow not to give an opinion but to offer obedience to a God who knows everything that he's doing and I know it's easy to go God you need to step it up. You don't know what you're doing. And God, I think, every time reminds me. When I get to that point, it's like, dude, you can't even keep your room clean. I'm handling the universe. Let me change that. He's not handling it only. He's handled it. He knows what he's doing, friends. He's trustworthy, even when the circumstances seem different. He's sovereign. Be encouraged by that. Can I pray for you? Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you, you invite us to hide and seek. You invite us to look, to seek after you because you want us to find you. But God, I pray that whatever people are facing, the thing that brings them the most hope is that you are sovereign. Whatever circumstance, whether you orchestrate it or allow it or however that works, you are sovereign over all. God, may that bring us to a place of peace and trust as we continue to walk with you. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you all more than you know.